Yeah, this week we will talk about uh, data governance. And we have two special guests, and this is the first time I actually have two guests in this podcast. So far, it was only one. So it will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. So we have two guests, Jesse and Turi. Uh, they both work on Google, and they both are co-authors of the data governance, governance book that we just uh, saw. Uh, Jesse is a senior user experience researcher at Google Cloud. Um, she conducts user studies with customers, and then she uses these findings to shape Google's data governance program and products. And Uri is a product manager at Google, and he's leading uh, data governance efforts in Google. So welcome. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Before we go into our main topic of uh, data governance, uh, let's start with your background. Uh, so maybe we will start with Jesse. Jesse, can you tell us about your career journey so far? Sure. Um, it's been uh, a, a long one. I've done a lot of different things. Um, I, I, I started out as a psychology um, major and looking at um, research, loved research um, back in the you know early 2000s. There weren't a whole lot of jobs for somebody who had a degree in psychology, so I bounced around and did a lot of different things. Um, real estate, uh, you know, coaching, um, athletics, uh, until I finally found this thing called UX research. And I'm like, what is this UX you speak of? Um, and it was this perfect marriage of psychology and actual useful stuff that you could do for people that um, was pretty immediate. So I started in um, that maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, and I worked at T-Mobile on their enterprise products for about four years until I moved to Google. And I've been here um, working with URI pretty much the entire time I've been here at Google on uh, cloud and data governance for the last three years. Oh, thanks, uh, Uri. Uh, yeah, well, my background is much more banal, I guess, for product manager. Jesse, I never knew you were in real estate, so every day you <laughs> learn something new. Um, I, I spent the last couple of decades, like, I, I started off as an engineer in a security company. I moved to product because people were tired, were tired of me criticizing the product, and then you were like, how about you actually do something about prioritizing those criticisms? Um, and uh, I've spent uh, several years in security company, was an early employee in Scout and Checkpoint, uh, was uh, most recently before Google, the vice president of product management in a security company called Mobile Iron for endpoint devices. Um, the, the, it's kind of funny how I got to Google because uh, throughout my career, it's been a couple of decades now, I've been caring for data on endpoint devices. And the Google offer was really about, how about you sort of cross the mirror, uh, cross through the looking glass, and get to care for data at the source, at, uh, uh, at the server side, at the cloud provider side. And data governance, it has been around for a long, long time. It was uh, something Google has been doing for Google uh, throughout its history. But uh, it was an initiative that basically the challenge was to bring data governance to Google Cloud customers. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. So now you also care about security, but uh, from a different angle. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, so you mentioned data governance and actually the talk today is about data governance. What is it? I, to be honest, I still uh, have very vague idea what data governance is and why do we need it? I, I, I'll start <laughs> with that. Um, so data governance, I guess, maybe, maybe I should start with saying what it's not only. Um, so I feel like when often people talk about data governance, um, and, and you're right, depending on who you talk to, there is uh, like a myriad of different definitions. But I guess um, from our perspective, what it's not only, it's not only securing your data. So it's not only about um, how do we govern the things that what I like to call the scary stuff, right? PII, credit card numbers, you know, things like that. It's not just about securing those and um, monitoring access to those. So, uh, sorry, PII is what? Oh, uh, or is it personally identifiable data? Thank you. I always think it's like protected something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you. So things like a, a name, a social security number, um, uh, date of birth, potentially. <clears throat> so I think recently with GDPR, um, like a lot of companies and folks are very worried about data governance, you know, um, or governing their sensitive data. Um, but, and we talk a lot about this in the book, it's more than that. It's also about knowing what data do I have, period. Um, because if you don't know what data you have, you can't really use it. You can't run analytics. You know, you also can't secure it. Um, you can't really decide where it should go, um, what you should do with it, whether or not it's a duplicate, should you retain it. Um, so data governance really kind of encompasses the entire story of what data do I have and, um, and, and, and how, how can I use it best? Uh, whether that means securing it or um, using it for, you know, business uh, analytics, things like that. Uri, did I miss anything? Do you want to add? <laughs> no, uh, but, but I'd like to offer a different perspective, maybe that adds on to what Jesse said. So, so first of all, data governance has is actually not new. Okay, mm -hmm. data governance, broadly speaking, is a practice of. Uh, the people, processes, and tools, or the usage or the combinations of those three, in order to uh, understand, care, extract insights from your data. Now, uh, the, the reason I'm saying it's not new, and what made it uh, more, uh, the, the term itself more popular recently, is it always was the case where any company would have a customer list. Any company would have uh, certain insights of that customer list. That has been uh, ever since companies were born. The normal insights was like this customer is behind on his payments or something like that. Now, here is something that has been happening uh, surprisingly slowly and yet had implications that made data governance a very popular term. Uh, cloud, uh, cloud did not happen in one day. And the cloud uh, sort of like transformation or transition is still happening much more slowly, in my opinion, than anyone expected. But cloud brought to the game unlimited infrastructure. And that brought to the game the abilities for companies to say, OK, I would not only save the payments table, maybe I'll save the customer behaviors table. Maybe I'll look at all the events that happening as people interact with the product. 
maybe that will allow me to say, okay, if people are spending time in my e-commerce website in the uh, T-shirts department, maybe I need more choice in T-shirts. Uh, maybe if people are buying a lot of T-shirts towards the 4th of July, maybe that's a good time to make sure my supply chain is ready for the 4th of July and so on. Uh, now, this trend of saving more data for insights, which I don't know actually what these are right now, I'll just collect all the data, has uh, made people uncomfortable and caused, caused several things. One is uh, the regulator stepped in and said, okay, you're collecting a lot of information about people. This information may identify them and those people have not signed up to be identified. Like, I don't want the 4th of July t-shirt website uh, to know my buying habits because that's highly personal. It may indicate where I live. It may indicate uh, how much money I have. I'm not comfortable with that. The European regulation uh, sort of like says, A, you must explicitly ask for people to share their information and B, uh, you should separate the people, the processes and tools that collect PII, personally identified information, from other systems in order for me as the customer of your, again, the t-shirt website, um, to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm done with my business, uh, with your website. I want to be taken off. Now, uh, this uh, accumulation of highly personal data that can easily predict and identify you. Uh, it also led to some mishaps. Uh, the most uh, well, most notorious one is the Cambridge Analytica scandal, there are others, um, and really forced companies that realize they can make money from data also to be more uh, prescriptive and cautious about using that data and that is sort of like the chain of thought that led to this practice. Now, as I said, it was always there. If you look at the banking industry, uh, the banking industry has always been like, you must keep, uh, depending on the country, seven years of data in order for us to go back on transactions and detect fraud, for example. Uh, and that is usually proven by a chain of transactions or a chain of money movements and banking uh, or the financial services community as a general uh, always had rules about how you can collect the data, how long to keep it, and who should be able to access it. Data governance is taking that practice, making it uh, more accessible. And hopefully, uh, as data governance goes, it will become not, as Jesse said, a security mechanism, but rather an enabler that allows people to access more data safely with guardrails that prevent them from falling into pits of like inadvertently sharing data and basically making more useful insights, bringing us more useful products. There's a lot of products, not just t-shirts or things like that, that are possible because we can understand what people want, for example. Okay, that's a lot of information. So I'll try to summarize and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong. So, uh... We have a lot of data. Let's uh, start with start collecting data. And then in order for an analyst to be able to understand the data, they need to know what we actually have. So we need to have a way of saying we have this, this, this uh, data, right? So this is one part of that. So actually having the, the data itself, then uh, having the tools to access the data, 
right? So there are tools to access the data, there are tools to catalog the data and how people go about, so the third component you said processes, so well, how people go about accessing the data, how people go about collecting the data, how people go about storing the data and all that, right? Did I miss something? And I think you, you mentioned yeah. also banks. So in banks, uh, the, the rule of keeping the data for seven years uh, has been around for quite a while. And this is one uh, of the, like that's uh, one of the data governance rules, right? So they say, okay, we must keep the data for seven years. So this is a rule they have to follow and this is how they define uh, data governance, right? So they build- that, That's a good example, retention, which is how long or how short you retain the data is an example of a data governance policy, yes. Okay, and we have a bunch of policies like this and then collectively they're, they're called data governance, right? Mm-hmm, okay. very good. And uh, yeah, so this ex this sounds excellent, right? As a, as a company, I really want to have it. Right? I want uh, our analysts to know what data we have and where this data lies, how to access this data. So how do I implement this? What, what do I actually need to implement this data governance? So I, I wanted to add a little bit, um, which, which will, I think, go to your question. So you were talking about like, <clears throat> there's these tools and the processes and you were really hitting on kind of the, the process that the tools have, right? Like, okay, I'm an analyst. What tool do I use to find my data, to access it, to run analytics? Um, but as, as Uri was hitting on, there's also policies and this is also a part of the process, right? <clears throat> so there are, you know, things that are policies of like, okay, this is what we do with this kind of data, right? Um, you know, like he was giving the example with the banks, this is this kind of data, we need to keep it for seven years. But there's also the process around, like, how do we ingest the data? What do we do once it's ingested? Um, and that's a big piece that often doesn't get done or doesn't get done well. <clears throat> so when Uri was talking about, okay, everybody wants to collect all this data. So what a lot of companies do is they just collect it and dump it, right? Let's just dump it somewhere in this big, you know, blob storage or whatever. Um, and then we're going to figure out what to do with it later. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but then you need a process of how do I go through that and then find out what it is and then classify this. <clears throat> so, um, and I know you had a question, um, like we're probably gonna talk about data catalogs later, so I'm probably hitting on it a little bit early. But if we're talking about how do I implement data governance first, <clears throat> you first kind of have to start with saying, how do I wanna classify my data? Um, what are the different data classes that I wanna identify? Of Okay, this is sensitive stuff, um, this is business critical, you know. I mean, even simple things of like, <clears throat> Like, let's say that you have revenue data and depending on how you call it, they might be four different kinds, right? There could be ROI, there could be sales, um, <clears throat> you know, d different kind of classes or different kind of labels that you want to clump together in a class. Um, <clears throat> so really it's about defining what are these different data classes that you want to have and going through your data to then map what you have to these different classes. At least it's kind of a first starting point. Um, there's a lot more, but Uri, did you want to add on to at least kind of this classification part? Yeah, a little bit. So, so again, um, don't start uh, it's with the time saying that. Don't, don't start from a 
technocratic point of view. Mm-hmm. Like you want to have data governance. Great. Why? Why are you uh, subject to regulation? Are you uh, afraid of data exfiltration? Are you um, in a business that requires you to have a certain liability or a certain accountability to customers? Out of that uh, like core reasoning, which may be multiples of those things, you need to, as Jesse say, now understand as a business, I uh, need to understand what kinds of data do I hold on? And then Jesse went into classification, which is a very, that, that's the way to go about it. And, and then I like, why am I concerned about data governance? Which means what kinds of, or that relates to what kinds of data do I want to do something about? And then the third part, which is what policies do I want to put in place in order to get to that why answer and answer it with confidence? Um, that's very high level. Uh, the May next step will be something? to pick, yeah, go. Yeah, so like you mentioned that, uh, yeah, like we should ask ourselves why we need data governance. So why, before we implement this, we need to ask this why question. And I'm wondering if there are reasons why we do not, we do not need it. Like maybe, like maybe it's just an overkill for us. Maybe we're a small company or we don't have that many analysts or maybe we don't store sensitive data. What kind of reasons we can have not to have it? So, so Jesse uh, mentioned a bit about like data is valuable because otherwise you wouldn't be collecting it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so if data is valuable, you pretty much want to make sure that you know what you have, where it is and how to access it, which is the act of cataloging which is an act of data governance. Uh, So uh, I would argue back, and I know that I am sort of like speaking from a very clear interest, but I would argue just cataloging and understanding what you have is a step that clearly is in the path to getting insights. And we, uh, I think we can agree, if not, I'll try and convince you that data, insights from data are valuable and you'll make your uh, business more efficient, more streamlined, identify new sources of revenues. That will be one answer. Uh, Jesse seems to have more. (laughs) Yeah, I I would completely agree. Um, And and this is kind of why we talked in the beginning of how broad of a definition of data governance that there is, right? And, And you're right. I mean, different companies are going to have different levels of intricacy into their data governance program. But uh, as Uri said, I think we would vehemently argue that any company that has data, even if you've got five employees versus 50,000, you still are going to need some way of knowing what data you have so that you can have insight from it. Now, maybe your processes aren't going to be as complicated as, say, a bank, right, that is collecting a lot of sensitive information. And in the the years that we've been doing um, research on companies, there have been some that are small, kind of cloud native. They don't have a whole lot of employees. They don't collect a whole lot of sensitive data. And their data governance program is a lot less complicated than, let's say, a very big financial institution that has many moving parts that they have to think about many employees. Um, So you're right, it can be a bit less complicated, but we would argue that no matter what, if you have data at all, you're going to have to, you you would be best served (laughs) to think about how you're going to um, 
structure a governance program for that data. So distilling um, it, ju just adding a little bit, distilling it to an even baser motive, like you collect data, you store it somewhere, you query it with some system, that costs money. So how do you know that the, the money that you pay for storage and uh, compute to like retain this data and process this data is actually doing something for you? Mm -hmm. That's data governance. Yeah. So it's not a question whether we need data governance or not. We do need it. But the, the why here, the question we should ask ourselves is what is the reason we need it? So it's clear we need it, but why we need it, right? It's not like a decision between uh, yes or no. It's a decision between, okay, what are the aspects? Uh, what are the problems we want to solve first with this, right? Before starting to implement it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're totally right. And that's going to help you figure out how extensive of a data governance program am I going to need? And and Uri's completely right. You know, you yes, you're going to need it, but figuring out that why, is it because I'm collecting a bunch of sensitive data? Um, am I going to need to show regulators a certain something? Um, is business asking us for like, you know, our, our t-shirt website, right? Well, are, are there differences in 4th of July versus other times? Do we need to increase our supply chain, right? So answering those kinds of questions, those are the things that help you figure out what parts of a data governance program do I prioritize first, you know? Um, and uh, I guess most of the time the answer is uh, data cataloging. Like you need to know, uh, you need to have this catalog of data. You need to know what kind of data you have. And you started uh, that we need to classify the data. So we yes. need to know, first of all, what kind of data sources we have. And then for each data source, uh, we need to understand this uh, field in this data source. Is it, uh, I don't know, personally identifiable or not? Uh, is it, uh, like I think you mentioned, business critical? Mm -hmm. uh, so what kind of, actually, what kind of classes can we have there in addition to these well, two? That's a good question. Uri, I think you're more familiar with a lot of the different classes. So, so, so the classes, yes, thank you. The, the classes of data really are not like, there's not like a preset, uh, like dictionary of classes you use for every purpose in every business. The classes of data are really defined by yourself. There are, there are examples of classes of data, which I'll go over. But they're defined by yourself as groups of data. I want to assign a specific policy or a specific uh, governing method to. Uh, here, here are common examples bandied about in the industry. One is we already mentioned PII. Uh, we mentioned PII because the European regulator really made the point of like you must separate PII, separate PII from other kinds of data. PII is personally identified information. That can be, as Jesse mentioned earlier, a phone number, which can clearly identify you in this day where everybody has a phone uh, or a phone hardware number or an address or a name. And it actually depends on the kinds of business you are, because in some businesses you may be collecting uh, names and addresses, but not in an identifiable manner. Maybe uh, Google Offices is an address, for example, but it doesn't identify people There's like I don't know how many thousands of people working there. Um, there's patient health information, which has been around also for a long time. And it's the demographics of a patient, the uh, kinds of treatments that patient is having, the 
the success of those treatments. And especially in medicine, by the way, uh, in medical research, since we all went through an interesting year, um, the sensitivity of uh, treatments on a specific person which can identify them and maybe things they don't want uh, a processor of uh, medical information to know are actually very useful in determining the possible success of a treatment. And uh, we have obvious recent examples. So patient health information, uh, personally identified formation, fiscal information, so list of transactions and amounts and so on. Um, there's other classes of data, but really uh, when you try, as we are talking to potentially people who want to start a governance program, don't subscribe to a like outside defined uh, classes of data. Think about your business, think mm -hmm. about what data you process, and think about how you would like to control, make accessible, delete that data. That's how you should think about it. There are examples. Uh, we literally wrote a book. Um, but but um, uh, think about yourself, not about outsiders. Yeah. Yes, and when it comes to implementing this uh, data catalog, so I can already imagine that if I just uh, or create an Excel spreadsheet or a Google spreadsheet and then start putting all the data sources there, all the fields, all the classes. That is probably a reasonably good start, but I guess that's not always the best tool. There are better ones. Do you, do you know if there is something available that can help us that is uh, purpose built for this, uh, for this purpose? The, um, yes. <laughs> There are many, uh, <laughs> Uri's laughing because uh, there are many, many, many tools. Um, and Uri, I'm sure you have uh, a lot of opinions on this. So I, I guess the, the thing that I'll start with saying is that um, there, are, there are so many tools and people create a lot of their own tools. Um, but I think one of the important things is to really think about the future, right? So how scalable is what you're doing. Is it going to have to scale enormously? Because one of the problems we've seen folks have is that data governance, especially if we're talking about cataloging, classifying, I mean, if you're even thinking about doing this as an Excel spreadsheet, that is so manual, right? And as we've talked to companies where data governance often fails is because it's so manual and there isn't somebody to do that. In fact, we had talked to a company a couple years ago who had a full-time uh, data steward, you know, so a person whose sole job was to catalog, classify, do all this kind of stuff. Um, and that person quit because they said the job was, and I quote, soul-sucking. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a true, true story. I'm not lying. Um, and, you know, so most other companies we, we've talked to is they don't have a single person who's doing this job. And so um, I think the takeaway from that is to just think about uh, whatever process you're going to start, think about how, how can I keep this going? Who's going to be doing this work? And am I setting up a process that is just um, so time consuming and, and so arduous that it's going to be really difficult to keep going? Uh, Uri, did you <laughs> I, I want to I want to double down on a lot of what Jesse said. So so 
Alex, say what you discussed is really okay. I need to get data governance. I'll open this spreadsheet. I'll start inputting. I, I will work for my data. If you work for your data, something is wrong there from the start. The data should work for you, not the other way around. And that's actually, that's not my uh, metaphor. That's uh, one of the analysts that's worked for day, like make data work for you is what data governance is about. Uh, but but uh, think about it this way. You need a data governance program. That probably means you have data somewhere which you process and uh, which you store. Okay. Where is the data right now? This is something you should know because you pay for that storage every day. Okay, what systems do I already have that uh, tell me something about my data? Then take those systems, as Jesse said, extend your timeline into the future, five years, 10 years. See, like, is this place where I store the data right now? Am I happy about it? Is it performant? Is it scalable? Is it more or less future-proof? Okay, what systems do I have that integrate into this system today? I'm going to do uh, a little bit of a shameless plug here. Uh, when you use a platform such as Google Cloud, we have tools already built in to the platform uh, to support a lot of the basic workflows and basic needs. We, Google Cloud has a Google Cloud catalog, which automatically as you drop data in other file storage or uh, columnar storage, assesses the data and indexes it because we are also known for being a search company and uh, allows you to like find what you need. That's great. That, that's a free starting point you can have today. Now, uh, to be fair, other clouds have similar systems. So uh, just assess your situation right now. Then if you need to, to buy a specialized tool, again, don't work for your data. Uh, what do you need next that is not satisfied with your existing infrastructure? And the way to look at it is, again, go back to the why. Why do I need data governance? I need to comply with regulation. Or I need to extract more insights. Or I need to be wary about uh, exfiltration. There are tools that are built around those concepts. Evaluate them in light of your current and future goals and then decide now do do you did you want a, a like concrete uh like if you are a do this kind of uh thing that that's more of a conversation that is very different for each particular company in each particular vertical mm -hmm. I, i'm sorry if that's a little bit disappointing though <laughs> yeah. so what i understood is uh starting with an excel spreadsheet maybe is not ideal because at the end the person who needs to maintain it will quit because it's a soul sucking job then uh the, then you need to make data work for you and there are tools who actually go there look at your data and uh organize and organize it yes but i guess the, this manual component this uh, human component mm. will not go away because at the end you still need to make a decision if this particular field is personal or not personal identifiable or not is this particular field is business critical or not so there still needs to be a person who looks at this and makes this classification right and even then, more importantly like okay this particular field is personal or not fine what do you do with personal <laughs> data that can only come from a human do you delete it do you uh, encrypt it do you allow it to be accessible only by certain people uh, mm -hmm. that, that's most definitely a human component, and that's the human that the data works for. 
And then uh, data doesn't stand still, it evolves, right? We add new fields, we remove fields, we add new data sources. So I guess somebody still needs to keep track. Like even though like a system could be automatically synchronizing with the data sources and say, okay, there is a new field, hey, and then maybe there is a pop-up or email saying, hey, data steward, please take a look at this field or the team who is responsible for producing the data. At the end, somebody needs to go there and do a manual action, right? We just right. need to make I, I want this to process add easier. To that. We, we talked a lot about like binary uh, binary concepts, like is this data A or B? Is uh, this column protected or not? Should this be accessible to uh, this person or not? There's also some uh, like fuzzy concepts in data governance, one of which is data quality. Mm -hmm. And data quality is a little bit more elusive. It's like this data source that contains personally identifiable information that is uh, entering through this system and going to that system. Do I trust it? Uh, is it high quality enough to be used in a machine learning model? Is it high quality enough to make a business decision on? This is a little bit more of a tricky concept, which is also part of data governance. We can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting discussion. Like, how do you know if this data is high quality? Is it because the analyst working at that uh, team said so, or? So, so the mechanic ways to understand quality and the like more elusive ways. So, so first of all, what's the source of the data? That that will be like is the source of the data, and I have this insurance company I'm working on. They have proudly mentioned that they are at World 3.0 now, and I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, we are now at the stage where we have processed most of the handwritten data. And we are now reading data written in Microsoft Word 3.0. So that's probably 1990s um, and or oh, slightly later, but not much later. Um, <laughs> and we are making our way through the backlog. So is that data that potentially some of it handwritten, can that be used today in making a decision about a mortgage? Because it's an insurance company. Uh, that's an interesting question. Only somebody who's familiar with the entry know. Uh, is this data that's coming from an oil rig where transmission is iffy and there's a lot of noise on the communication channel, should I be using that in order to uh, determine gas leaks? That, that's somebody who's familiar. Then there's like, okay, this data source is the combination of merging uh, data sources A and B for which I do have a quality signal. What's the derivative quality signal? Th those are the iffy, they're, they're technical. You can detect uh, like out of bound values, missing fields, uh, like uh, error in rows. Th those are more technical practices that you can implement uh, fairly easily and also give you a quality signal. Mm -hmm. So basically it is up to the team or whoever up to the producer of the data to say because they have a domain expert a business expert uh, like somebody from insurance or somebody from this oil ring who can say okay this data can be trusted but this data is iffy right so we still need uh, to trust the team the producer who creates yeah, the data. You, you can implement a lot of tools that give you a leg up uh, but uh, i would argue that the final decision of trust should be handled by a human still. Mm -hmm. We are still useful. There's, there's future hope. <laughs>
So, okay. So we have the data sources, right? So we have the data storage where we put data. It can be a data lake or whatever data warehouse. So we have some place where we keep the data. Then we have this data catalog, which might also communicate with our data storage and get all this information from there. We have a data steward who maintains the data catalog and knows what's going on there, one or multiple. So what else do we need to, when it comes to tools and practices, what else do we need to implement for uh, data governance? So I think that the next step, and, and we had kind of talked about this a little bit, is the policies that you then have on these classifications, right? <clears throat> so once you have your data classes, now you're going to have to define, okay, what do I do with those, right? Are there certain ones that need to stay in this kind of storage? Certain ones that, um, as Uri said, need to be kept for seven years. Um, ones that are business critical that we should be using, um, ones that it matters very much the freshness of the data, right? Um, <clears throat> so the, these policies, and, and they can be very, I just listed a lot of ones that are very straightforward. Um, and <laughs> as we've done more research into policies, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners uh, will, will agree, is that they are a lot more complicated than we had originally thought of just, okay, here's a simple policy, um, you know, only allow access of this data for, for these folks. And one of the use cases we've heard recently is, well, depending on the purpose somebody is accessing this data for, that might change who can have access. So we heard an example from a, a company that sells furniture. And they had said, you know, okay, let's say um, that we have somebody's email address because they bought a couch and we're going to ship them the couch. So, you know, the, the person who is, you know, handling these shipping addresses and everything, they can have access to that data. But now let's say that we have a sale on couch covers or something, and we'd like to be able to market this to folks who have recently bought a couch. Well, if someone, and it could even be that same analyst, right? they cannot access that email address for that marketing purpose unless that customer explicitly gave permission. So there's even these nuances in, um, in, in policies of, you know, how do I create a policy that's going to capture that nuance of, for this particular use case of this data, that it, it can't be used for that. Um, so I, I guess where I'm going with this is that, um, you know, once you have your classes, you're going to have to think about what do I do with those? Um, and what policies am I going to put on this? And as Uri had said at the very beginning, this all goes back to your why, right? If, you know, and, and, and this is the way that you can figure out, I don't want to say minimal governance, but what are the key things that I really need to care about? Um, if regulations are, you know, top of mind and that's the most important, then my policy should really fall in line with that. Because as you can see, you can go down like a million rabbit holes of, you know, govern this, govern that, you know, classify this, classify that policies. Um, so really being able to map back to what do I have to do? What, like, what do I have to do? What's the most important? And starting there with your policies. Um, or did you want to add to... Yeah, a bit. Um, so, so adding to what Jesse said, the, the next step, as Jesse said, is like you have organized your data, you have understood your data, you have attached tags to further understand and index your data, and now you're into, okay, what is allowed to do with my data? And Jesse described a couple of policies. 
the way I like to think about this, being inspired by our customers, is policies are not thou shalt not or thou shall. Uh, those are not those should not be thought of as prescriptive. Policies like uh, should answer the question: How do I make sure the CIO, the CISO, the CEO feel comfortable about mm -hmm. everybody in the company accessing this data? And the way to make those people, those C-suite people, feel comfortable is saying: Okay, anybody can access the data, but only this specific group can access personally identifiable data or we make sure to scrub away any location information. It never even enters our system and therefore the data is safe. Those guardrails enable uh, democratization of the data and enable people to extract insights. And the tricky thing about insight again is you don't know what you don't know. So you may not know that all of the playback events of the music uh, app that you've released are valuable but then suddenly, a year later, you go over those and you realize that you can predict uh, trends in music, and that's valuable because then you can replenish your catalog and then you can basically make uh, more attractive music offerings. Um, there's mechanisms in place that, now we are talking about tooling, that allow you to do, so Jesse mentioned, how you can make email available for everyone but make sure that when somebody accesses data, they attest purpose, then they can very easily mass mail about the new couches. And the <laughs> system makes sure that only those people who opted in for email communications will actually get uh, the notification of a new couch, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, th there's other things like, for example, training machine learning models. Many machine learning models don't need the personal email they do need a way to identify this is person A, this is person B. So mm -hmm. hashing the email in a mm -hmm. one-way function, which is still uh, still um, uh, so one-way hash that is still unique, will make sure that you don't expose any personal information, but still you can differentiate between humans to do things like count distinct and aggregate by and so on which will create a hopefully useful machine learning model to predict shopping trends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, these policies, like what it can be accessed, what cannot be accessed, is it something how we implement? How can things be accessed? How, yes, like which team can access, for example, how exactly uh, should it be hashed information or not hashed? Is it something that uh, is implemented on top of the catalog? Or is it built into the catalog? Or how does it usually uh, look in practice? So, so there are variations. Uh, there's some systems that says, A, you should access all data through the catalog. The catalog will normalize everything. The catalog will be your workbench. And the catalog also cares for how the data is shaped before you see it, sort of like maintains those guardrails. That, that's one approach. The thing I like about this approach is um, it, it, uh, is central, it's a central choke point for governance that is sort of by equalizing all the data. The downside of the system is it puts a constraint about the tools you can use. You can only use the catalog as an interface or tools that interface with the catalog. Um, again, being a little bit biased here, but I would uh, correct towards a system that makes sure the actual storage system 
implements the governance with a central control plane and a dashboard and so on. But, but having the storage implement governance means you can use any tool that can access the storage and still be safe. Uh, mm -hmm. And that like opens up compatibility with much more tooling. Again, at the end of the day, nobody should be uh, maybe besides like Jesse Data Steward, which hopefully we made much happier. Um, uh, nobody should be working uh, to figure out the guardrails. The guardrails should be invisible and enable you to use whatever tool you want to do to generate the business purpose you came to the data for. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess there should be some central place where I, as an analyst or I, as a, as a data scientist, can go and say, I need this piece of data. And then somebody, mm -hmm. a lawyer or a data protection officer or data producer, can evaluate my request and say, OK, maybe you don't really need this data. Use this instead. Or, OK, yeah, like your use case is valid. Here, this is uh, now the access is granted, right? So we need a tool that allows that. and. Should it be on top of the catalog or elsewhere? So, so it can be on top of the catalog. It can be on top of the storage. It can be agnostic to actually both. So, so we recently launched a product called Dataplex. Again, being biased, but still as a, as a good example. Dataplex actually sits beside all the storage systems in Google and basically tells you, hey, uh, these users have access to this data. Are you happy about this? This data is accessible for these users. Are you happy about that? Uh, there are systems, such as just to uh, give a shout out to Colibra, for example, which is a data catalog data governance system, which is a third party. Uh, they uh, implement uh, a shopping cart experience, really, which is exactly as you described, Alexei. It's like, I need the financial information for the last two years in order to perform for the analysis. And I search for financial information in the last two years. I'm presented with certain uh, data marts, and I can request access to that. And you get like a shopping cart experience with authorizing and auditing, which is another concept of data governance, which records this transaction, which is also important. I think one thing to add, too, is that um, Alexi, a lot of what you were describing, it's manual too, right? Mm -hmm. And and as Uri said, there's, I mean, you have to have people involved, right? That That is going to be important. But again, this is another place to think about how much of this can I sort of automate or, or make easier for myself? And I think this is kind of what Uri is getting at too. If my storage system can implement some of this, if my data catalog can implement some of this, of, you know, I, I've classified my data and now I've added tags and these tags do certain things with the data, then it doesn't become always on the onus of the data producer or something, you know, an analyst always, I mean, we've talked to a lot of um, data producers or, you know, data engineers who are like, oh man, like, I like spend so much of my time having to deal with requests of analysts and data scientists wanting this data set. Why do you need it? You know, and then I give it to them and then they don't use it. And now I got to do another one. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure many, many people are familiar with that. So the more systems, you know, when, when you're kind of thinking about this process that you can implement that will help make some of that stuff not so manual, whether if that's a, a tool that you use or just the way that you've classified it and tagged it, um, that will help you also. Thank you. Yeah, we have a question actually from uh, Mahmoudou. Uh, 
So it's also about a data catalog. So how can we systematically evaluate data governance initiatives, such as having a data catalog for data access? So how can we prove uh, their value to, to the business? That's a good question. I, I would go back to the business objectives, okay, and start at the highest level. Okay, you are storing a lot of data. Uh, you are spending efforts and compute resources, which also cost money on processing this data. Here's a question which can easily be answered with the catalog and easily addresses, like, what is the relationship between the money you spend on storing the data and the uh, usage of that data. A catalog can answer that question and a catalog can show you the most used tables and so on. And then you can make decisions such as, hey, you know what? This is a lot of archival data nobody is touching. Let's move it to cold storage, which is cheaper. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be one way. There's the also uh, other way, which is uh, like I'm subject to regulation. Uh, this regulation can take a bite out of my revenues if I don't comply. So how do I prove easily, cheaply, without like every time there's an audit going into a lot of manual labor that I comply? That will be another approach there. Uh, Jesse, do you have a couple more? Yeah, um, I, I would say, I mean, I think to add on to Uri's approaches, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, not to like beat a dead horse, but if you kind of go back to the original, what governance do I need? I, I think a lot of times folks look at, okay, well, I got to have this entire governance program and I need all these tools and, and this storage and all this headcount and it's super complicated, super expensive, right? And and kind of your, your C-suite's like, hell no, <laughs> that's way too much. We're not going to do that. And I think oftentimes that's where this question comes from. But if you can look at what's the minimum, and I like, you know, we, we, we wrote a book on this, so obviously we don't think data governance should be like a, a bare minimum thing, but if you're trying to implement something, you got to start somewhere and looking at what's that minimum that I can do um, that doesn't require a huge amount of headcount, that doesn't require a lot of manual stuff, that's not a ton of expensive tools, is a place to start. And as Uri said, once you can start doing some of these things, you can start showing the value of, okay, we have all this data, and now we're able to get more insights from it. And then it will start to sell itself. And then you can see, how do I uh, expand from there? How to find this minimum? Say again? How to find this minimum? So we need to find this minimum, yes. minimum yes. thing. <laughs> so how do we do this? Uh, Again, look at your business objectives. Like I need a data governance program. Fine. Because regulation, because insights, because things. Then uh, the determining from your objective, what you need to solve for successfully will be that minimum. The maximum will be, how do I solve this in a way which is future-proof, caters for potentially buying other business units or accumulating 10x data from yx sources will be the maximum. Uh, that's the difference between planning for now and planning for the future. As a general approach, that, that's always like in the world of lean startups, you need to plan for now plus uh, 1x. Uh, because you don't want to be surprised. That will be a way to look at this. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, 
you for the first iteration you plan as much as possible for now give yourself uh, like a bit of uh, how to say allow yourself to also plan for the future a bit but don't be so ambitious and then prove that this thing is valuable and only then expand right yep thank you so we have a question from danish um could you please explain a bit with examples what a data catalog could contain and how we can leverage it i guess we talked a bit about it like a couple like some data sources and uh, yeah so what can it contain as well here is what i want a data catalog to do for me uh, i want a data catalog so so there's a lot of technical metadata information associated with data table names the, the, the data set names column names Let, let's begin with that collect all that index all of that do it without or with as little much effort for me saying okay i have a new table now i need to go to the data catalog and register that table that becomes <laughs> that becomes this manual labor alexei you mentioned earlier I, I don't think anybody wants a data catalog that works uh, basically creates more work for you so let's begin with that then the better data catalog actually extract a uh, logical layer or a business layer on top of this technical information, which is, okay, a lot of my data contains information about customer. Here's a customer entity. It includes these kinds of things. And customer entities can be found in these systems, in these data sets, in these tables. Um, uh, data catalogs also usually care for lineage of the data. So that's another kind of metadata, which says where the data came from, where the data is going next in terms of both analyzing your uh, SQL data warehouse, as well as analyzing other flows of data in and out of your organization. Obviously, we want to be able to search rather than list uh, all of this data and uh, the there are many so, so those are like the core things the, there's features i see in many partners for example democratizing data quality is an interesting trend people can five star certain mm -hmm. data sets if they are happy with them or not uh shopping cart experience which we mentioned earlier policy management is sometimes part of data catalog sometimes not because you already have a view of your data additional business metadata uh, inclusion is something that um, uh, is part of many data catalogs. It's like, I don't only want to know there's a customer entity, I want to add to that customer entity information about, is this an internal customer or an external customer, information that maybe only humans know. Uh, those are um, things that are normally found in a catalog. And again, think about the catalog as the dictionary that leads you to all of your data, where it is and what it means. So you go from uh, a table in a data set in a query engine to what does this table mean? Where did it come from? Who uses it? Uh, how often is it getting used? So that will be the kind of information it's in a that it's in a catalog. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think most of the time today we spent talking about uh, data catalog. I don't. I know that we have only one minute left, uh, and I'm just wondering: uh, is it all about having this data catalog, or are there are other things that are important? So, so to have? 
we we talked about uh, even more basic concepts as well, like data is stored somewhere. So that's uh, something the catalog often scrapes. Uh, Data is processed somewhere, either the data warehouse or data analytics engine or an open source uh, tool. Those are things that are part of your strategy, a policy engine. Uh, which is either part of the storage system or a data catalog. The data catalog sort of became synonymous with um, data governance because it's a tool very often used by two groups, data analysts and data stewards. Each of them have a kind of a different purpose in mind. One is understanding the data in order to query it, and the other is understanding the data in order to govern it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of data governance tools that exist there sort of like are in the catalog or have catalog as a part of it. Okay, understand. Yeah, so we should be wrapping up. Anything else you want to mention before we finish? Uh, thank you for having us. This was great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Any tips or, uh, I don't know. Read uh, the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's the the most important one. (laughs) Okay, so how can people find you if they have questions? Um, I know we're both on LinkedIn. Um, That's probably, uh, at least for me, the easiest way. And and just see, and sometimes I do a lot of talks. So uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, the, the normal communications channels we all have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for joining us today, for sharing your knowledge. And thanks everyone else for joining and listening, for asking questions. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, that's all. Have a great weekend and uh, see you next week. Thank you so much. about the, the, uh, and the, our viewers. Okay. Thank you very Thanks. much, and thank you all who are watching. I'm sure Alexei will contain our uh, contact details in the summary for this content. Yes, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I don't think I have your Twitter, but if you give me, I'll include this as well. Sure. Sounds yes, good. thank you. Great. Have a great day and have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.